Today's scripture reading is taken from Genesis 32, verses 1 to 12. I'd like to ask you all to start reading along with me after the count of three. One, two, three. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Eden, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels, into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of your surpass love and all the faithfulness that you have showed to your servant, for with only my staff I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from your hand of my father, brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Arlene. You may be seated. Okay, we continue to the series of prayer. Thank you for the prayer, Isaac. Who say I'm sick? I'm not sick. No, just kidding. A bit under the weather, but it's all right. So today we're going to uh, continue in the series of prayer. Who blessed with the series so far? All right. For me, that I think is, uh, I keep saying to Pastor Yossi, you know, this is one of the best topical series that we ever have. But it's just my opinion, just my opinion. But really... This series of prayer really transformed how I approach the prayer. All right. One of the things that uh, it changed me is I used to try to avoid asking God boldly, all right, to really praying boldly to God. I kind of like try to avoid that before this series. There's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is because my knowledge of God's sovereignty somehow make me to kind of like try to avoid asking, oh, God is sovereign, you know, God ordained everything, so I shouldn't ask boldly to God. The second reason, I think this is the main reasons why I try to avoid asking God boldly. Because there's a fear inside my heart of God going to reject my request. Somehow that if I keep asking in my heart, why you don't want to ask boldly? Because I'm afraid God's going to reject my request. 
And that fear of rejection really stopped me to ask boldly. And really that this series of prayer for the last few weeks really transformed how I approach the prayer. And even that especially when I prepare, this sermon is really kind of like give me the answer to this concern. All right, let's just go straight away into the scripture. So we're going to cover the, the whole Genesis 32. Yes, we're going to read only for until uh, first 12, but we're going to cover everything. But before that, let's have a look at the context of the page sets before um, we're going to start with the first, right? Uh, I believe most of us in here is, especially me, I, I had, I kind of like, my idol is control, right? So I had uh, what I call it uncertainty in the future, like a gray area, I, I, I hate that one. It's to, to, to not knowing what in the future for me is a bit, make me overwhelming. I mean, or make me overwhelming. Uh, I don't know. Some of you maybe feel the same. There's, if, if, I don't know, perhaps some of you is a bit, uh, have the uncertainty in your job right now, for example. Maybe you suddenly find yourself jobless right now. Or parents, maybe you're, right now you worry about your child's future. School, where are we going to put the school, whether it's the right school or not. And you're gripped by fear, doubt, because of that uncertainty. Uncertainty and fear. And these two emotions, what Jacob feel in this pericope. Uncertainty and fear. Who's Jacob? So maybe most of you know who's Jacob. Let me just give a little bit who's Jacob. Jacob is the master of deceiver. All right. If you know the story, so basically uh, Jacob is deceived his brother Esau. He, uh, he deceived his brother Esau uh, by like trying to steal, basically stealing the, his birthright, so his firstborn blessing. At that time, firstborn blessing is a big thing. And Jacob basically is deceived Esau and then uh, and stole the blessing of the firstborn. It's a big thing at that time, it makes Esau very mad. He's so angry to the point that Esau want to kill Jacob. Esau want to kill Jacob and their mother, because the mother is the same, right? Brothers. And the mothers know that Esau is going to kill Jacob. So the mother said, Jacob, you have to run right now. You have to run away right now, escape from Esau. So for 20 years, basically, approximately 20 years, Jacob is running away. And in this pericope, the journey of running away comes to end. And basically, that Jacob has to come back to his his homeland, the promised land, Canaan. And basically, God is the one that asked Jacob to come back to the promised land. Basically, Jacob obeyed God. But the journey of running away from Esau is come to end because Jacob knows when he's coming back to the promised land, just about the time Jacob is going to meet with Esau. So he knows what's going to happen. He's so afraid because he knows Esau is going to destroy me and destroy my family. So he know for sure that it's like, God, I obey you, but right now, I'm so afraid. So Jacob basically that, he know that right now is thinking that my brother for 20 years nurtured his hate to me. So he cannot just like, he couldn't stop thinking about his brother Esau who wanted to kill him. So on his way to, to the promised land, to his homeland, Basically, that he can't stop thinking that my brother gonna kill me, and that's what Jacob feel in this pericope: uncertainty and fear. 
So let's, we're going to have a look from this pericope is how Jacob going to respond to his fear. How Jacob going to respond to this uncertainty and whether he gets the result what he wants from God. That's what we're going to find out. So I'm going to divide my sermon into three parts. Jacob needs, Jacob responds, and the unexpected answer. Jacob's needs. So, as on the way, Jacob going back to the promised land, God knows what's going to happen, right? God God's knows what's going on. God knows that Jacob is full of fear, and he was so afraid of Esau. But listen what God did in the first one. It's just first one in here. Just so gracious, and God so kind. And the first one that Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. This is just the first verse. The cool part, you know, the cool part in God. Even Jacob, before Jacob even realized how big of a mess he will face later on, God sent his, his angel to Jacob. Basically, Jacob, basically God want to tell Jacob, you know, Jacob, don't worry. I'm going to be with you. I know what you're going to, I know what you're going to run out. You're so afraid of Esau. So God sent the angel to tell Jacob, you know what? Don't worry. I'm going to be with you. And that's the first verse. Don't worry, Jacob. And Jacob knows straight away. And Jacob in the first two saying that when Jacob saw them, the angel, he said that this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. So Jacob said, he knew that he wasn't alone. He knew he wasn't alone, that God made a camp of angels to be with him. So the first two verses that we know that God gives assurance to Jacob, Jacob, don't worry. I know the fear grips you right now. But I want to tell you that I'm going to be with you. This is just the first two verses. Let's continue, verse 3 and 5. And Jacob sent a messenger before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, Thus say that your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban, and stay until now. I have oxen, donkey, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to, I have sent to tell my Lord, in order that I may find favor in your sight. So, Jacob really wants to make it everything right with his brother. So he sent his messenger to kind of give the message to, uh, to uh, Esau. But you can see that how Jacob tried to make everything right, right? He, he tried to humble himself. In here that you can say, he tried to humble himself. Um, correct. Thank you. I think I forgot to click. Oh, no. I, I, I think I forgot to click, but it's not. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so basically that you can see from here, Jacob tried to make it everything right with, uh, with uh, Esau. He tried to, basically in here, you can say he, he humbled himself. He called, he considered himself your servant, Jacob. And he called Esau, Lord Esau. So basically he tried everything to make everything right with Esau. And let's continue what happened, all right, after he sent the messenger. Verse 6, and the messenger written to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and you know what? He's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. So when the messenger come back, Jacob got some seriously worrying news. And the messenger said, you know what? Esau is already on the way. 
is already on the way to meet you, and he's not alone. He come with four hundred men. He come with four hundred men. But let me tell you just a little bit out of context in here. It's basically at this point, we don't know that whether that Esau with these 400 men, these 400 men is a soldier to kill Jacob, or it could be 400 men of like a dancing team that's going to greet uh, Jacob, right? We don't know. No, honestly, we don't know at this point. It's just the news that he's going to come with 400 men. But just this news, this kind of simple news, is make Jacob very worried. If you know the full story, spoiler alert, the next chapter, basically that, you know what? Esau tried to meet Jacob to what? To hug and kiss Jacob. Anyway, but going back to this context, going back to this context, because Jacob heard that they're coming. He's so afraid. He's so afraid. And as a result, that in the first second, that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He was so greatly afraid and distressed. Let's put ourselves as Jacob. Going through the first, first meeting with the angel, God sent the angel. You know what? Yes, Jacob has every reason to be afraid, thinking that Esau is going to kill him and his family. Jacob has every reason to be afraid, but he also has every reason to believe that God is going to be with him, considering what happened in the first one and two. He forgot that God sent the angel basically to tell Jacob, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. But so often we are like a Jacob. Where we listen some of the single piece of news. Just a simple news that we don't know what's going to be happen in the future or not. And we start thinking all the worst case scenario in our mind. It stop everything. It's like the end of the world. And what happened? Like Jacob, we are greatly afraid and distressed. As soon as we focus the shift from God's promise to the situation that we are facing, we're going to experience what Jacob experienced. The fear going to grip us tightly. Jacob was so afraid, and let's see what he did in the midst of his fear. In the first 7b till 8. And then he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herd and camel into two camps, thinking that if Esau come to the one camp uh, and, and attacks this one, then the other camp that is, left, that is left will escape. So when the fear grips Jacob, basically that what he did, he relies on his plan. He relies on his plan. He make a plan and forgot what God has done to him in the first one and to that he forgot about God's promise. And is that our tendency as well, church? When our life seems uncertain, instead of trusting God, we try to becoming God. 
and make every single detailed plan. Oh, if the plan A is fail, I make plan C. If plan C well, so we make a detailed plan. I'm not saying plan is wrong. But if we put our trust in plan and we forget about God, that's what is wrong. And let's be honest right now. Sometimes we, we will like Jacob. Maybe some of us right now is like Jacob. Fear grips very hard on you. You're so afraid. You're anxious. I mean, our world has a plenty of stuff that can make us care, to be honest. We, maybe we all worry about dying, either for us or for people we love. Parents, we worry about our kids, their future. We worry about bad things happening to them. We worry about their school, their education. And we worry about the, all our loved ones. We heard the news, and now we worry that some drunk driver will hit and kill us. Even we try to drive safely, and we worry that some drunk driver is going to hit and kill us. We worry about uncertainty about our future. Future kids, future spouse, our financial. But so far that we can learn until this point, that God want to tell us, don't rely on your plan, but trust in God. So Jacob's first reaction might, might, not, might not be the best reaction, right? He relied too much on his plan. But what he did, the second reaction, that's something that we could learn. All right? What he did is basically he went to the Lord and he prayed. It leads me to my second point. Jacob responds. So, Jacob was so afraid, full of fear, and one thing that we can learn from Jacob in the midst of the uncertainty, the midst of his fear, you know what? Jacob managed to come to God and pray. And it's a good prayer that there's something that we're going to learn today about this prayer. So, I'm going to have four points that we can learn from this prayer. As, as we're going to go into one by one, and you're going to realize that, oh, I, think, I think we learned about this one last week. I think we learned this one two weeks. And it does. It does. And basically, it's just when it's showing you that the Bible is consistent. The Bible is consistent from the start until the end. We're talking about the Old Testament right now. And maybe when you heard the, 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 the point, oh, I heard that in the New Testament. And just to showing us the word of God is a consistent from the start till the end. These are four things that we can learn from Jacob, from his prayer. First one. First one. Praying according to God's word. So there's one thing that we can learn that basically that what Jacob did in his prayer is basically that he was holding on to God's promise. I read it to you. First nine. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac. So basically, when he start his prayer, he start reference, like he start mentioning that you are God of my grandfather. You are God of my father. So what, God, what, what Jacob trying to say to, to God is, God, you are the one who make a special promise to my family, to my grandfather, to my father, and to my family. I want you to remember that, God. 
So Jacob asked God for help because of that special promise that God made to his family. And then look at the first nine. And he tells God twice like this, what he, like, like, uh, what he said before in verse 9. O Lord who said to me, on the 9b, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kinder that I may do you good. Again, in verse 9, basically, God, basically Jacob trying to say to God, God, you know what? What I'm doing right now is basically that you told me that you want me to come back to my country. You do one that said that I need to come back to my country. And then he didn't stop there. If we jump into verse 12, basically he's, Jacob said again, You said, God, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And Jacob saying that, God, you said that. Remember when you promised to make my family big. Well, now I need your help with Esau. You know what? For me, especially with the Eastern culture, when I listen to this, it seems like a very impolite prayer. We're talking to God right now. We're communicating to God right now. And we say that, God, you say this, don't forget. God, you say this, don't forget. It's like we try to push God. But you know what? God's like it. God's love it. God's love it when we use His own words to talk to Him. He loves it when we remind Him what He promised He will do for us. He loves it. And in other words, when we do that, when we remind God, God, you say this, basically what we're doing is that we're holding on His promise. When we do that, it means that we put our trust on His promise. And that's what it's a prayer about. Prayer is asking God for the things based on what He said. And that's why that what we can learn so far that Jacob really holding onto God's promise. The second thing that we can learn from God, uh, from Jacob, praying in the humility. First thing, Jacob said, I'm not worthy of the least of all this of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. He's basically telling God, God, I am nothing without you. I'm not worthy. Even I don't even deserve to get all the good stuff, all your grace, all your kindness, I don't deserve. So basically, Jacob admits that he's unworthy. He knows he doesn't deserve all the grace that God given to him. I mean, he knows, he realized at this point, he realized that, God, I mess up all the time. Yet, you are faithful. Jacob show up to God in the right attitude. He come to God in the right attitude. He humbled himself, knowing that he cannot do anything. What he needs is God's help. And the question for us, for us is, how do we come to God in our prayer? How do we come to God in our prayer? Do we come with the attitude of someone that thinking, God, I've done this for you. I've been ministering for 15 years. I've done two, three ministries. I go to MC as well. Now I deserve this blessing. 
I hope we realize, like Jacob, that we don't deserve God's grace and God's mercy. We are nothing. We are no one. We are unworthy. However, because of the blood of Jesus, we can come boldly to God as our Heavenly Father. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can ask God boldly. And that's the only reason. It's not because of your effort or anything. And this is not the main ingredients of prayer that we can learn from Jacob, which is the humility. Because when you come to God with a humble heart, you know what? Basically, that we express our complete dependence on God. When we come to God with a humble heart, basically that we come to God like a kid who rely on our caring father for everything we need. That's the second one. The third one that we can learn from Jacob. Praying with the gratitude. First 10b. He said that, For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Basically, he said that, You know what, God? I had only one staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have two groups. From one stick in hand, and now you make me two massive groups. He realized how much God's blessed him. What Jacob did in here, Jacob takes time to seriously counting his blessing. How about you and me? Do we take time to count our blessing? There many times we caught up in our kind of routine, right? We go to job, to our job every single day, and we forgot our job is his blessing. We meet up with our little family at home. We forgot our family is a blessing from God. The paycheck that we get every month, the house that gives us the shelter every single night, do we ever stop to be thankful for all those blessings? What Jacob did in here, that he really takes time to count his blessing. The food we eat, the family we have, and the church that we have in here, that God blessed us for 27 years. Do you take time to count the blessing from God. And above all, we already have the God's greatest blessing to us, which is the gift of His Son. And therefore, we have every reason to be thankful. The fourth one that we can learn from Jacob. So basically, he closed his prayer by boldly asking God what he wants. So basically, in the first 11, he said, God, this is what I want. Please, I think it's very good. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mother with the children. And again, he didn't stop there. He gave also the reason in verse 12. You say that you, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. Jacob asked God boldly, it's very specific, this is what I want, I fear of this. And God, I want you to deliver me from my brother. And then also he said, this is your promise. 
And the Bible is have a lot of promise, church. The Bible have 3,000 promises. And the good news is because of Jesus, all these promises are yes and amen for every Christian. So these are four things that we can learn from Jacob. These four things that we can learn from Jacob. It's a good prayer. It's a very good player. And we can learn a lot from him. But Jacob missed one crucial thing from this prayer. He missed one crucial thing from this prayer, which is he doesn't want to give up himself. He doesn't want to give up his control. So there's someone asked a pastor, right? There's someone asked a pastor, uh, I read this one, and he asked the pastor, what is the most important part of your prayer? What is the most important part of your prayer? And the pastor said, you know what? The most important part of my prayer is the 15 minutes after I finish praying. There are many times we can say whatever we want in prayer, but if we don't trust God, all those things is just a lip service. So the problem in here is a good prayer from Jacob. It's indeed a good prayer. That's why we can learn from Jacob's prayer. But there's one crucial thing that Jacob doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to give up his control. He doesn't want to give up his con his, himself. How do I know? Let's have a look at the next verses. So this Jacob responds after the good prayer. So instead of surrender to God, Jacob decided to advance with his plan. He made his plan more detailed. So I read it from verse 13. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present from his brother Esau. 200 female goods, 20 male goods, 200 ewes, and 20 rams. 30 milking camels and their calf. 40 cow, 10 bulls. 20 female donkey and 10 male donkey. This he landed over to his servant. Every drove by itself and said to his servant, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? And then you shall say that they belong to your servant Jacob. They are present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third, and all who followed the drove, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say that moreover your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, listen to this, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Just right after the good prayer from Jacob, Jacob once again tried to do things his own way. He tried, what he tried to do in here, basically he tried to bribe Esau. He gave all the animals, and I mean, man, it's a lot of animals. It's really like, if you count it, there's 580 animals altogether. If we put in the context of right now, Basically, that with those animals, basically, that you can, you can use to really pay your bill, your expense for the rest of your life. It's a big gift. It's not a small gift. 
is a big gift from Jacob. He's really banking on this to working. He's hoping that I, I hope Esau will accept me. After a good prayer from Jacob, he still relied on his plan. He still realized he's really banking on this working. He gave most of his belonging, 580 animals altogether. But how often do we are like Jacob as well? Our lips say that God, I surrender all. God, I surrender all. But however, in reality, we still, we still love being in control. We still love being in control of our life. We don't like letting go of that control. Jacob surrendered most of his belonging, really most of his belonging, goats, camel, cows, and many more. But he didn't want to surrender one crucial thing, which is himself. However, God is so gracious. God is so kind. He's not finished with Jacob. The answer to Jacob's prayer comes in a very, very strange way. I think some of you maybe know from, uh, from this pericope. I mean, maybe right now Jacob is like us. Jacob won't just, God, it's very clear from my prayer. My request, deliver me from Esau. Just fulfill my request. But God had different plan. And it leads me to my last point. The unexpected answer. And some of you looking for the clock. Wow, last point. This is my longest point, just to let you know. So the unexpected answer. Verse 31. So let's, uh, uh, um, let me read it first. Let's uh, uh, story continue. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed at night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his eleven children, and crossed the fort of the Jabuk. Jabuk. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. So what happened is later that evening, Jacob sent all his stuff, all his family across the river. So basically, he's leaving himself alone in the North Bank. He just by himself. And something mysterious happened. So a man come and visit Jacob and wrestle with Jacob. And who is the man? And a lot of scholars believe that he was not just a normal man. So it's basically it's the example of Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. So basically, it's God in a human form. The clue is basically in the first 30. In the first day, basically, like, at the end, it's basically, after all of this wrestling that Jacob said, that, for I have seen God face to face. And that's why we believe that this man is just not normal man. This is a God. And one interesting thing in the first 24, the first 24 didn't say that Jacob wrestled with him. The first 24 basically said that the man is the one wrestle with Jacob. The first 24 didn't say that Jacob wrestled with him, but a man is wrestled with Jacob. What does it mean? It's God. God is the one that initiating the wrestling match. 
It's not Jacob the one that initiated. Jacob wasn't trying to get something from God. It was actually God who wants something from Jacob. And another interesting thing in the first 24 is basically saying that they wrestled, they rest, wrestling for like until the breaking of the day. It's basically the whole night they wrestle. They wrestle the whole night. I mean, that's so intense, right? So in, intense that I know that some of you uh, went and attended the wrestling match a few weeks ago. I know from your Insta story. If some of you still questioning wrestling is a fake and scripted, you should join them next time going there. You will realize that you're right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, wrestling mat. So that wrestling mat, I believe it only lasts two or three hours, right? It only lasts for two, three hours, and then they're going to be like already like tired and sweating. But this wrestling mat is like happening the whole night. The whole night. My question is, Jacob is wrestling with God. Doesn't mean that Jacob is so powerful that he can wrestle with God for the whole night? Well, you know what? In reality, that God can claim victory anytime. He can win the match anytime. Even one second win it, God can do that. But he allow the match to continue because God had a larger purpose for Jacob. God knows the main issue of Jacob, he doesn't want to give up himself. He doesn't want to trust God fully. God can stop and win the match anytime, but he allowed the match to continue because he had a bigger purpose for Jacob. Let's continue with the story. And when the man saw that he didn't prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So basically, he struck Jacob's hip and dislocating it from the socket. I haven't experienced myself. I know my beloved pastor dislocated before. And I asked is very painful. So I believe it's very painful as well. So when I look and research that dislocating the hip socket is very painful. So basically in here that he's trying to, trying to say that Jacob cannot do anything right now. The match finish. The match finish. But let's stop the moment right now and looking back the whole big picture of this pericope. So, so, so Jacob, so far what we know, he relied always on his cleverness. He relied on his sneakiness. Thinking that I don't need God. I don't need to put trust in God. I can rely to my plan. But just look at this pericope. After Jacob prayed as well, a good prayer, he still rely on his own plan. He give all the animal. But however, at this point, God brought Jacob to the point where Jacob cannot do anything. Many times, God needs to lead us to the end of ourselves. 
Many times God needs to lead us to the end of our own capability. For what? In order to encounter with Him. In order to experience Himself. Jacob couldn't fight God anymore. He's so painful. But there's one thing that he could do. Verse 26. Then he said, then God said, let me go, Jacob, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He couldn't fight anymore, but one thing that he could still do was hold on tightly to God. You know, in this moment, he found himself in the position that the only thing that I can do is just to lean and hold tightly to God. And that's, that's what God did to Jacob. And in verse 27, it's a bit funny conversation for me that God asked Jacob, what is your name? I mean, that you wrestle for the whole night, God. Why you just ask at the end? I mean, that he's God as well, right? <laughs> the mess is finished, and God said, what is your name? I mean, God knew his name for sure. But why God did ask, what is your name? Because Jacob's name means deceiver or cheater. God asks, what is your name? It's basically God wants to Jacob to admit his true nature. What is true nature? What, what, what is your name, Jacob? I want you to admit. I want you to really humble yourself and admit who you are. And Jacob answered, my name is Jacob. He admit, that's my name, God. That's my true nature, which is I'm nobody. I'm no one. I don't deserve anything. You know what? It's a moment of raw honesty from Jacob. But it's also a moment of surrender and submission to God. So often we approach God, they're thinking, God, I got this. Don't worry. I'm good enough. Don't worry. You don't need to come to me. I'm good in this planning things. I make it so detailed. Don't worry. But I hope that we can take lesson from today's message that let's come to God with the humility. Let's be real with Him. I mean, it's okay to acknowledge our weakness because there are many times in those moments of humility that we find His strength. That's my daughter. <laughs> I can hear. Let's continue the stories. So, what God did after Jacob surrendered to God? Verse 28. Then he, God, said that your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. I mean, if you look back, did Jacob win the match? No. He didn't win the match. God touched his hip and he cannot do anything. 
But in here, God said that you prevail, Jacob. You win the match. Verse 29, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said that, why is that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying that, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. What did God do to Jacob? God changed his name. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which means God fights. Let's take a look at something interesting again in here. In the beginning of the story, Jacob come to his promised land, Canaan, scared, full of fear, and he pray, God, deliver me from Esau. It's very clear what God really fear is Esau. And then he pray, and he wrestle with God for a long time. My question is, did God actually say, all right, Jacob, you wrestle with me right now. You encounter with me. You experience me. Now it's all good now. It's all good. Go meet Esau and he won't hurt you. Don't worry. Don't worry. You can meet Esau and he won't hurt you. Did God say that at the end of this paragraph? No at all. If you really, really read the last part of this story, there is no direct assurance from God that everything will be okay with Esau. There's no direct assurance at all. But these the things. All of this, the praying, all of this wrestling, is, is all about telling Jacob one powerful things, which is the same thing that God tell Jacob at the beginning. Jacob, I'm going to be with you always. God didn't give the direct assurance that hey, we will be okay with Esau. Go meet Esau. No. All these wrestling things, God just want to show Jacob that, God, Jacob, I'm always going to be with you. I don't know. Whatever you're striving right now, whatever you're longing right now, I hope you know nothing can replace God in your life. Sometimes God needs to hold back the very thing that we are longing to teach us something that really vital, which is having a close relationship with God is way more valuable than any physical blessing. And that's exactly what comes up from this story. If I put it, let me put it in this way that Jacob didn't get the instant fix to his problem in this wrestling match. What he got was a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. And that's something that we should take to heart. Our beloved pastor, I mean, really, he summarized nicely this part. He said that because by losing the fight, Jacob received the greatest blessing one can ever receive, which is God. Jacob got God. Jacob's victory wasn't like winning the game. When you are kind right now in the wrestling match with God, 
the funny things. You're winning the match by surrendering to God. If you're in the midst of wrestling match with God right now, you're waiting for something for God, the funny thing, you actually win by trusting God, by giving up your control. By not giving up your control, by not giving up yourself, you know you have lost. You know you have lost the match. I mean, there are many times that I'm, I'm amazed how Jacob persisted with the wrestling with God for the whole night. He's so persistent, but I think the right word is a stubbornness. And there are many times that we are like Jacob. Our stubbornness drives us to want to control everything in our, our, our own way. It's like we, almost we're trying to take God's role. We try to becoming God. And because of this wrestling, in the verse 31, the sun rose upon him as he passed Pinot, limping because of his hips. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket. So just go to the vegetarian restaurant after this, right? We cannot eat sinew now. Because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So after the wrestling match, Jacob ended up limping in his hip. You know what? It's good for him and it's a good for us. It's a, it's a, a permanent re reminder for Jacob. And it's also a reminder for us that sometimes for us gaining to the true blessing, Sometimes for us to able to gain a true blessing, which is God, it means that we have to giving up something else. I mean, now think about your, your life right now. Ask these questions. Are you okay with the idea of letting go your control? Are you willing to let go something that you think you know are you ready to lose the control and make a room for God's greater plan? Because sometimes God needs to shake things up like, like what God did with Jacob hip to help us to see a bigger picture. Going back to my question at the beginning, the reason why for me very hard to ask God boldly. Because I learned sometimes that how God answers our prayer is, can be many ways. It's not like we ask God answer. We ask A, God answer A. A lot of time, we find that we ask A, God say no. And the many times because the, the many times we often focus on our immediate needs. But you know what? God's looking at bigger picture. The question is, does it mean that we shouldn't ask God in our prayer then? No. We learned for the last couple of weeks that God ask God boldly. Ask our heavenly father boldly. And just like Jacob wrestled with God, I mean our prayer sometimes is like wrestling. When we pray, we're not just asking for things. 
we're engaging the conversation with God. And in the process of that, our relationship with God is grows stronger. And this is always my struggle. There may be a time in our prayer life that we ask God something. We approach Him with the persistent and bold request, God, I want this. But His answer is a firm no. It leaves us a very heavy heart. Sometimes we are mad to God. God, why? I ask you boldly. I knock. I seek. This, for me, there's nothing wrong with this request. But why your answer is no? The many times it, it leaves us with a heavy heart. But something that we want, we, God wants us to learn in here. In the midst of your heavy heart, basically God wants us to to do what Jacob did to God. God wants us to say that. God, even in the midst of our heavy heart, I will not let you go. There's one thing that God wants us to learn from this parable. Yes, it's hard to learn that your answer, my answer, God's answer is no. But one thing, my children, that I want you to know in the midst of frustrations, I want you to keep holding tightly on me. I want you to say to, to me that I will not let you go, God. I will not let you go. If you are disappointed, don't hide your disappointment. If you want to share and express your frustration, share it to God. It's okay to show your lament to God. Through your wrestling prayer, your relationship will go deeper. You will draw closer to Him. And this is a promise of God. As you hold tightly on Him in the midst of your wrestling, God said that, you know what? You're going to experience what Jacob experienced. You're going to see God face to face. You're going to experience God. You're going to encounter with him. I think one of the struggles for us as Christians, especially in the midst of this wrestling, waiting, struggling, does God really see our cry? Does God really hear us, our prayer? And again, it's always that the question that is going to bombard us again and again in the midst of we waiting time. God, God, do you see our cry? Do you see our tears? But just imagine from this story, the one who made all the stars and all galaxies cares so much that he come down to be like human, like Jacob and wrestle with Jacob. He's, God is the one that pursued Jacob. He come like Jacob, like a human. And not only that, but he also intentionally become weak to win Jacob. And this story of Jacob is echoing the big message of the cross. God cares so much about how he actually come down to our level and become one of us as human, as a sinful, like in, in, in this kind of a human form. He's wrestling with our biggest enemy. He's wrestling with our biggest enemy. He's wrestling 
with our sins. And you know what? He let himself be defeated. Nails pierced in his hand. Nails pierced in his feet. And he hangs on the cross. For what? To win all of us. At the cross, Jesus fight on our behalf. Jesus battled for us. He was defeated to win all of us. In order so he can unite us to himself. So now, he can look to you and me right in the eyes. He can look to us right in the eyes and say this to you, you know what, my children, I will always, I will always be with you. I won't ever walk away and I won't ever abandon you. It's as if that he's making a promise that no matter, no matter what twist turns in your life right now, he's right there by our side. No exception. So my friend, when you're feeling alone, when things get tough, remember this promise that He's going to be with you. He's going to walk with you. He will not ever abandon you. We can totally trust that He listened to our prayer. The cross is the proof of His saying that, you know what, I love you and I'm listening to your prayer. So the whole story of Jesus on the cross basically screamed to us that how much he cared for us. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the reminder. Forgive us. Forgive us. There many times so often that we come to you and then we say to you that God follow me forgive us the many times instead that we trusting you we do want to tell you that you follow me God the many times that instead of we trusting you God we trusting our plan more we rely on our plan Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us as many times as well. That we treat you like a religion. That we come to church, but we never encounter with you. We never experience you. Holy Spirit, help us. To see you as our Father. To see you as our Heavenly Father that really care for us. That really love us. That really say to us that, My children, don't worry. I'm always with be with you. I'm always with you. Help us to see that, Jesus. 
help us to see that. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I invite everyone to stand on your feet as we continue to worship. <laughs>